have had uh, like an incredibly exciting last few days. Uh, on Wednesday night, we gave birth, and um, and it, it wasn't that messy actually. This is quite a it's quite a clean birth apparently. Uh, so Andy and Angie they kicked off Hancham Coast Vineyard Church on Wednesday evening, and. Uh, and I can't believe it that 40 people rocked up. Isn't that amazing? That is wonderful. And we are absolutely delighted and absolutely thrilled uh, for you guys. So that was Wednesday. And then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, a number of us have been at Lagan Valley Vineyard uh, Church, which, which is in Lisbon, uh, as part of our National Leaders Conference. It's the first of its kind. National leaders, leaders from all across the 12 vineyard churches uh, in Ireland. We gather together. The most incredible time. I'm not just saying that. Like I've been to loads of these things over the years. And uh, I would say it was probably the most significant uh, gathering of leaders I've ever been to. 25 years ago, Dublin Vineyard Church was planted. And um, during the course of the years, over the years, the Lord has just uh, gathered and um, planted new churches, but what we heard yesterday was just the most awesome story of how Sean and Debbie Byrne had planted the original church, and uh, it was really, really tough. They broke hard ground over a number of years, and many of us are here today because they gave their yes to Jesus, and they wanted to give up on many occasions but they kept staying faithful to what the Father had said to them. And a big part of uh, their keeping going uh, was Steve and Cindy Nicholson. Steve and Cindy, uh, we have known for a number of years now, way back in our Soul Survivor days in England. Um, but Steve and Cindy kind of lay hands on Sean and Debbie many years ago, and for the first six years came every single year across in the States to Dublin to lay hands on them and encourage them and give their shoulder to cry on and everything else. And uh, the hallmark uh, of the Vineyard Church in Ireland is where it is for a significant reason with the investment that Steve and Cindy have, uh, have given to us. We are absolutely thrilled and indebted to all that they have done, all that they've prayed for us, by coming and visiting us, and it has been absolutely our joy and our privilege to uh, welcome Cindy here at our church this morning. Oh, you're lovely. Thank you. Thank you. It's so... It, it's... I'm feeling the joy of a of a grandmother now. <laughs> Seeing y'all here and knowing knowing the history and and something that God gave me an imagination for all those years ago when there was no vineyard anywhere on this beautiful wonderful, precious island. And, and now look at you. <laughs> and, and this is just the days of beginnings for you. I, I know.
is Eleanor Mumford is wont to say, Aslan is on the move. <laughs> and, and here in particular, in Ireland, I think, I think a year from now even, you are going to look around and say, I remember when we were small. <laughs> I remember when there wasn't a vineyard just close enough that I could actually visit or tell my relatives about or, you know, I, there's, there's grand days ahead of you. Um, and that's not flattery. That's, I've seen what God has done over these past 20 years. So I have a lot of faith for the next 25 ahead of you. And may I live to see some of that. <laughs> so my, my visits come, I have kind of 10-year snapshots in my mental family album of, uh, of Ireland because my visits have tended to come at about that pace. So the first time I was ever in, in, in the north, um, Steve and I had come over as part of a large team with John Wimber, who founded the first vineyards in the States and came, um, traveled quite a bit for a period of time, doing mostly meetings meant to renew the existing church. Um, at that point, he had no intention of planting um, of or of releasing plants that were vineyards, and Steve and I came with him. I was about, I must have been like eight months pregnant with our third child. I can't believe they let me on the airplane. <laughs> I was being very small, and this being my third child, he was a big baby. And, <laughs> and in those days, the maternity fashions tended toward tended toward kind of these tent-like things, none of these cute little drapey things they have now. So I looked like a small white whale at that point, and everybody was solicitous of me all the time. You want to sit down? You're sure you don't want to sit down? Please don't have this baby right now. <laughs> and the two things I remember from that first visit, which tells you something about when it was, it was about 1987, was it was the first time I'd ever encountered ham and pineapple on a pizza, <laughs> I which I've come to become fond of, but that was a really odd concept to us. And the other thing was that what our minder had said about do not point your camera at one of the soldiers on the plaza outside where we are meeting. He was not kidding when he said that. So one of the guys in our group was one of those individuals who, as a child, if you told him do not stick your tongue on that mental pole in the freezing weather, he would instinctively have done that. He would have gone right up to the pole and stuck his tongue on the pole. And if you are not aware of what happens, freezing metal pole, tongue, 
tongue adheres to the pole, and it's quite painful and difficult to get it off. Well, in a similar way, he, having been told, do not point your camera at the soldiers on the plaza, decided he was going to take a picture of this beautiful edifice where we were meeting. And there happened to be a soldier right between him and the building. And he was inside a bus, mind you. But the minute he took that picture, there were five soldiers on the bus. They came down the aisle. All right, which one of you had the camera? They took the camera. They opened the back of the camera. They pulled out the film. They were not playing. And we were stunned. So that, that was an odd impression to have of your beloved country. But it did reflect how tense it was at that point. And so when people say, oh, Chicago, the Windy City, yes, yes, I know. It's actually not that windy. It's not any more windy than here. It's just they called it that because of our politicians. True, true. But they say, oh, in Chicago, they shoot people all the time. And, and Al Capone and all that. And it, honestly, we don't. We don't shoot people all the time. It's, it's been a little. But you know how people form impressions from one thing that happens. And so when it's tense, as it is here, it gets a little scary. But God's still on the move all over our city, as he is here in your city. But I'll tell you, my real first impression of Belfast was being in this meeting with, with John, and he was teaching about physical healing, and when he was finished, he was, he, he gave some, um, some words about specific conditions, and he had some people who were attending and listening and learning come and give some specific words, and there was a word given that someone, um, or a certain number of people actually in that room, had a, were going blind because of a specific condition like glaucoma, um, that so they were losing their eyesight. They had had it, and they were losing it. And sure enough, like five people raised their hands that that was true of their condition. So some people on our team went to pray for one of those people, and they gathered around him. It was a very dignified gentleman of a certain age who looked elderly to me, and I think now is probably about the age I am now is how these things go. And he, and so he, he, he stood up very politely, you know, he was, and, and they put their hands on his eyes. We must have been all of 21, 22, um, and we're just speaking to that condition and you could sort of, in a very dignified way, you could see <laughs> the Holy Spirit resting on this guy. And his eyes got really, right around his eyes, it got really hot. Um, and his face flushed. And 
then after a couple of minutes, his eyes popped open, and and he started. It was one. It was a really high ceilinged room. It's called the Spire. Spire. Yeah. And and you know, so beautiful. And there were flags around the room and these beautiful chandelier type things. And he was looking around the room and just pointing to things and naming what they were. You know, it's. Do you see that? Do you see that that green light on that chandelier there? And do you see my friend over there? And you know, and then he realized it sort of dawned on him that that he was seeing things clearly again that he hadn't seen before, and or not in a long time. And someone handed him their Bible. And he was able to read the words on the page, which he hadn't been able to do. He was nearly blind when we prayed for him. And, and, but I will never forget the way that it ended because he said, he, just in a very matter-of-fact way, he, he folded up. He had one, uh, one of those canes that you use um, if, you're, if you're losing your sight or you're blind that... Um, that you kind of use to tap so you can figure out where things are by feel. And his was hinged, and he just folded it up, and he handed it to one of the girls, and he said, right, I don't think I'm going to be needing this anymore. And he gathered up his stuff, and he just left. And our team was just, <laughs> you know, did that really happen? Did you see what happened? Did that really happen? But there was the cane right there. The, the living proof that this had happened for this man. And to me, somehow that is, that is emblematic of what God wanted to do then and continues to want to do now, is to pour out his blessings on this country, this part of the country. This morning, I'd like to um, talk to you a little bit about um, just what I'd call some handholds, um, so just sort of sturdy handholds for keeping yourself grounded in your faith and allowing you to go to the distance over many years. And I'm giving you these out of my lifetime of experience following Jesus. And I hope that they will be helpful for you as well. And I didn't bring notes, but I think that if, you, if you're someone who likes to take notes, um, they'll be pretty easy for you to remember and write down. So they, the kind of the way that I've come to think about them is that God is inviting me each day to stop and to look and to listen. So first, stop. When I came to know Jesus for myself, though I'd grown up with believing parents and I'd always known the rhythms of prayer and worship and fellowship, I, had, I, still, had to, I still had to take it in for myself. 
I still had to decide what I was going to do. I couldn't just inherit my parents' faith. I was an anxious, perfectionist-only child, socially a bit awkward. I was a musician driven to do things super, super well. When I encountered Jesus, it resulted in a, a hard stop, not a rolling stop. Someone else invaded my very self-centered world, and this someone, Jesus, came into my life and made himself at home. As he and I read scripture together, it was like a book that I had read all my life opened up to me in such an amazing way that I'd read whole chapters in one gulp. And I kept experiencing a sense of stop when I would get to something that clunked in to something happening right now inside of me. You know that feeling you're going along and clunk, an attitude gets hit that Jesus is just kind of putting his finger on. Just clunk, a way of thinking that may be contrary to how Jesus thinks. Or on the other side, an invitation that you find there, a call, a sense of, oh, this these words right here, they're for me right now. And when that happens, the thing to do is to stop. Don't rush past. Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is getting your attention. There is an encounter to be had. And if you stop and talk to Jesus about it right then, stuff happens. At the time I was first saved, there was a girl in my class who had bullied me fairly mercilessly from the time that I was about 13. She wasn't physical. She just mocked and isolated me, made me feel stupid and ugly and ashamed. One day after I had had that kind of full stop encounter with Jesus. I was in the library studying, and so was she. And Jesus drew my attention to her, and as I looked at her, he whispered into my heart, I know about her. I have compassion for her. Everything isn't as it seems from the outside. And I said, I would like to have some of your love for her because I don't have any of my own. <laughs> and I can only say that at that moment, something shifted inside me. And I experienced compassion for her. That oppressive sense of being controlled by her bullying left me. And I felt free. The next year when we graduated, 
we were all given picture yearbooks to celebrate our time at the school. And of course, we wrote messages in each other's books, as you do. And you know what she wrote? To Cindy, the kindest girl in our class. I am so glad I got to know you. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can do that. So the daily habit I recommend to build into your life is that when you're reading your Bible or you're talking to Jesus or when you're just living life and you sense that holy elbow in your side, stop, pay attention. Like Moses, when he encountered the burning bush, say, I must go see this sight. Consider how to respond to it. It is in these moments that Jesus, the master sculptor, begins and continues to shape you into someone who sounds and speaks and acts more and more like him. Next, look. The world and social media and culture around us are all clamoring for our focus and attention. We so easily become like the hunting dog, so attentive and focused until a rabbit crosses his path, or a squirrel, or a cat, or the poster carrier. One way that I keep moving toward Jesus and not away from Jesus is to remember to look in three ways. I have made over the years a habit of looking up by being intentional about appreciating, stirring up appreciation in my heart for who God is and what he's done, which is another way of thinking about worship. Nothing refocuses our scattered thoughts so much as worship by myself and with other believers. One of the things that I have, one of the practices that I have developed over the years is to, when I wake up in the morning, start by thinking about the things that are, that cause me joy, that give me joy, that, that I just appreciate. And I'll tell you, if you're in a really bad place and it is hard to kind of do that out of a sense of duty, the way to get out of that is to just start somewhere. What is what is beautiful for you? What, just thinking about it, gives you joy? Start there. Start spending a minute, two minutes, five minutes, just as many things as you can remember that are beautiful, that are worthy, that are, that are true and honest and and that just stir up gratitude and joy in your hearts. 
So for me, um, I the natural world gives me great joy. And so especially if I'm in the midst of a hard time, I'll just start there. I'll just start with the things that I can see that give me joy, the things that I can smell that give me joy. I mean, for, for others of you, you are people, people. And just thinking about p- certain people in your life you gives you joy. It, it stirs up gratitude in you. you know, and, then, and then you can start turning your eyes toward Jesus and thinking of all the things, thinking of your history with Jesus. You know, what's he been for you? Has he been your rescuer? Has he been your close companion? Has he given you love? Has he comforted you? Stir up those things. Think about those things. That will lead you into it. It's like it's like sitting across the table from someone you love, and and remembering together a significant time that you both really enjoyed, and you know you kind of savor it all over again. And as you do that, you find yourself in this place where, where you just realize, I'm, I really am happy right now just being with you. I appreciate you and the gift that you are in my life. And it's like that with Jesus, too. When you spend some time rehearsing again the things that are beautiful and lovely and worthy of appreciation and it's spending some time appreciating Jesus. It stirs up in you gratitude and a connection with Jesus that makes it much easier for you to then hear his voice speaking to you. So look up. Make it a daily habit. Find a way in your day. Do it while you're running in the morning. Do it while you're waiting for the bus. Do do it as you're coming to before you've had your first cup of tea. Spend time with Jesus. Then look around. One of the vineyard pastors that you may have heard if you got over to the cause conference last year this guy named Adam Russell he is from Campbellsville Kentucky in kind of the south central part of the states that part of Kentucky is known for bourbon and horses it's also known for small towns that have lost their sense of place because the big box stores came in and kind of destroyed the town centers I don't know if that's happened here at all, where the, where the big kind of chains come in and they park themselves on the outskirts of the town and, and slowly everybody kind of migrates in that direction and the little shops start to lose, lose ground and start to close. And that was true in Campbellsville. So God nudged Adam and the folks in that church to look around. 
And for a long time, they just wept and interceded and sought God's heart for Campbellsville. Now, the churchy thing would have been to hold revival meetings. But God kept nudging them towards something different. As they interceded, God started asking them a what-if question. What kind of shops and restaurants and businesses do you think would draw people back to those, to the town center? What could happen that would create a sense of community and unique identity again? And you know, here's the funny thing that happened. To me, this is as much a miracle as when that man's eyes got healed at that meeting that I was telling you about. As they started sitting with the questions that God was asking them, ideas, business ideas, started popping into people's heads. It was quite amazing. They started getting ideas for little for for little shops what what could create third spaces for people in our in our town and you know one of the some of the ideas were completely bonkers and never went anywhere but you know one person had an idea for a particular kind of coffee shop and another person had an idea for the kind of little shop that sells semi-useful things that <laughs> useful for picking up to take to a birthday party or you know for to to surprise a friend someone else had an idea barbecue is very big in that part of the country and but really good barbecue can be hard to find someone else had an idea for that and so this little church this size so this is not we're not talking a thousand people in this church this little church started praying on those things and asking god for for funds for that and and seed money started coming in for those ideas and business plans started getting formed and permissions from the governmental authorities to open shops started getting formed and slowly this thing opened and then that thing opened and you know when how when a community has lost its heart and new things start popping up it's like life comes back to it yeah and so you know curious people from the town started stopping by and checking out the coffee shop and sitting and staying for a while and bringing a friend and they started going into the little shops and it it this wasn't about making money this was about creating community again this was about taking the love of Jesus and inserting it right into the middle of Campbellsville. Now, like five years later, that whole, that whole part of the town is filled with little interesting uh, 
fun shops and restaurants and cafes and 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 it's gone much far beyond just the church. The church like seeded it. They, they it's like they scattered seed, and the, and now the whole now the town has that in in their heart. And now in the summertime, every Friday night, they string lights down the center of the street, and all the restaurants bring out tables, and they set up tables down the middle of the street, and half of Campbellsville is there every Friday night having a nice dinner together. The local musicians perform. The church brings some of its musicians. They play. And the love of Jesus has gotten brought back right into the heart, into the public heart of Campbellsville. So look around. You're the chaplains of your, of, of Carrick. You know, look around. W what are the needs? What is God saying? What might you do? I think God's got some amazing ideas out there. So the church doesn't stay in here. The church, church needs to be out. The church is for the community. The third way of looking is to look ahead. It is absolutely true that these are challenging times for believers. There's counter pressure from the culture. Um, there's Pol enough political stuff going on in my country, certainly in your country, to cause all kinds of anxiety. And so it's a good practice for us to remember to look ahead at what God's promised for us. That at the end of all things, we have, we have a home and a future. There are there are no bad options for us. Things may be difficult for a season here, but we have an eternal future with Jesus. And then the final thing is to listen. We ended up talking a lot about that this, this uh, last few days when all the vineyard folks were together. And I know that this is something that you are working on as a community as well, is getting quiet enough to listen to Jesus and see what he will say to us. We have a deep need to hear from him. Words of love, words of direction, words of affirmation. You know, I have seven, I have eight grandchildren, and five of them live close. And they're all pretty small. The oldest is seven years old. And they just can never get enough of hearing from Steve and me. We love them 
we like them, that we enjoy listening to them and watching them and being with them. And we all, however old we get, need to hear that from Jesus. But we do have to hush long enough to actually hear him say it. He will say it if we can get quiet enough. And so I commend to you that practice as well, is however much wonderful things God gives you to do, and may he give you many wonderful things to do here in your city for your people and here in this country with your people. May you also develop a discipline and a routine of sitting quietly and saying, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And letting him, letting him talk to you again. I think you'll be surprised how much he likes you. <laughs> I think you'll be surprised how much he likes you. So that, I think, is where I'll stop. May I pray for you? Yes. Okay. You know, as I was getting ready for this time and thinking about speaking to you, I was just impressed by... Jesus with how much affection he has for this place where you all live. That he knows its streets and its households. He knows its stories. And he has good plans for its people men and women and children, and that it should be a healthy and blessed place to live. And kind of an open-hearted, open-armed place capable of giving away and welcoming. So, Father, may it start here. May it start here with a community of people who are open-hearted and welcoming, who are stopping and looking and listening for themselves, becoming healthy, spiritually able to give out of an abundance inside. I bless this congregation. I bless 
them like a bag of seeds <laughs> that you are getting ready to scatter all around this lovely place to take root and grow and bless others and multiply. I bless them in Jesus' name. Amen.